junior hires may be dismissed to uh, their time together, Sunday school. Hope you're all doing well this morning. It's good to be back here at Central Campus. So this morning, we're asking ourselves the question, disciple, where? Our scripture passage is focused on what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And uh, we kind of covered this in some previous weeks, but we want to really emphasize this this morning. So I'm going to read it again for us. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're supposed to go make disciples. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, you know that this responsibility for making disciples is not merely on pastors or teachers or missionaries or even Sunday school teachers, right? It's on all of us. Every one of us is targeted by Jesus' words prior to his ascent to the right hand of his Father. Simply put, go, make disciples. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul says that Jesus gave gifts to the people of his church. Some are gifted to be apostles, some are pastors, some are teachers, some are evangelists. We discussed how while there is a gift that makes some of us appear to be super evangelists, there is not a particular gift of evangelism. We're all to evangelize. And just in case you got here late, let me catch you up on to speed. We are called evangelicals. Most often that is used to categorize us in this day and age politically, but we can, just for this morning, recover its original meaning. In Thomas S. Kidd's book, Who is an Evangelical? He tells us that by definition, evangelicals are people of the born-again religion. What he means by that and what he traces from what he believes is the American origination of this term, at least the way it's used today, is that we are people that despite attending church, despite the fact that many of us would identify as Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or, or Catholic, that there's a further step in there. There has to be a submission to the call of faith that comes into our lives. It's not enough to tithe, to attend, to serve. There has to be a point in which we recognize that we are born with a sinful condition. And despite all the efforts that we make, it doesn't seem to get any better just by changing our behavior. What in fact we're lacking is the presence of the Holy Spirit, of God himself in us. This began with the efforts of men like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, uh, part of what was called the Great Awakening. And people were called, church people were called to an understanding that the gospel message 
is something that we have to take and own, that we have to make that step of faith by asking the Father to send us his Son, that we will say, hey, I confess that I am a sinner. I need Jesus and only Jesus. And I therefore will pledge my life to him. I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. That is the essence of being an evangelical. You're saying, well, you're not telling me anything I don't know, right? After all, I attend the Parkview Evangelical Church. I understand what you're saying. But even in the, in the denominational name, the Evangelical Free Church of America, what we have here is a denomination that has always been characterized by evangelism. It's in the name. It's the verbal form of evangelical, which is an adjective. As evangelists, we are in the tradition, as I said, of Jonathan Edwards, but then let's jump ahead a hundred years to Dwight Moody and others. And what we had was we had immigrants coming here from Scandinavian nations who thought they were good church people, but then they heard Moody or others proclaim the gospel and they said, well, I'm, I'm lacking. I need something more. I need something to really understand my walk with Jesus. And in so doing, their lives were changed in a deep and primary manner. And these same people had such a burden for their friends and families back in the countries that they came from that they actually made the effort to go home to Norway and to Sweden and to proclaim that and said, we are evangelicals. We want you to understand the true message of what it means to be a believer. These people weren't pagans. They were in church. They were in the state-sponsored churches of their countries and still the gospel message went to them. Eventually, many of them were arrested for having such viewpoints. And in fact, they just kind of left their country and they came back to America and they established what we're in today, the evangelical church. And you're saying, well, this is a great history lesson, Dave. I expect no less of you. However, <laughs> however, it's more than just a history lesson. What I want us to walk away with this morning is an understanding that this is our tradition. This is the place that we belong. We have to be about our Father's work. We are people that are characterized specifically by the desire to and the need for evangelism. So, if it's more than just a name, if it's something that we are supposed to be, we're in trouble. Uh, as Pastor Wade has had great joy in showing us in the last few weeks uh, from his chart, the infamous double hump camel chart in which he shows us, oh, we're really good at some things like engaging people, but we're really poor as we go over the hump on evangelism. Well, we're really good on establishing people, but oh, we're not so great on equipping people. And so we have our ups and we have our downs, and we as a church in particular have not been about the business of evangelism. We confessed in the surveys that many of us took that this is the most difficult aspect of walking the Christian walk. Where do I get the courage? Where do I get the know-how? What's the method of sharing my faith with others? And yet, we still proudly walk around with caps and sometimes with t-shirts that say, Parkview Evangelical Church. We belie the name. 
because we very rarely participate in that word. We don't evangelize. We want to. We desire to. I don't think there's a person in this room that would say, well, I I wouldn't share my faith with anyone. What we'd say is, I want to share my faith with everyone. I just, there's just something that keeps me from doing that. So when we look at this name, it's somewhat presumptive, isn't it, to call ourselves evangelicals? I mean, how many of us have actually practiced evangelism this past year? How many of us have practiced evangelism in the past several years? It's a difficult thing. Well, it's kind of like this. Uh, It would be like a Chicago Cub fan who changed the name of their team from the Cubs to the Chicago World Series champions. Well, excuse me, but I couldn't help but notice your cap and your t-shirt. The Chicago World Series champions? Uh, Aren't you a cub? Well, yes, we used to go by that name, thanks for asking. But then we asked ourselves, how many times have people seen a bear cub in Wrigleyville? So we decided to change our name to something more befitting our aspirations. So let me get this straight. You want me to believe, right, that the other teams in the National League are going to be okay with you as a cubby calling yourself the Chicago World Series champions. Yeah, I think it's a good call. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you guys ever been to the, the World Series? Have, are you actually a champion? <laughs> Great question, but thanks for asking. Yes, back in 2016, we were the World Series champions. It was great. It was wonderful. So we think that the name fits. Hmm. So you won it in 2016, but that's, that's great. But how many times have you won it in, let's say, the last 100 years? Hmm. Now we're getting into being a bit of a nosy person, aren't we? Right? I'm not much of a statistics guy, but I would say uh, 216 and in the last 100 years, never. Hmm. Wow. Well, maybe you ought to think about changing your name back to Cubbies. Because if you're not going to be the World Series champions, let's get rid of the name. Well, there's hope. You see, our neighbors could look at us and say, wait a minute, you're wearing a Parkview Evangelical t-shirt. Are you really evangelicals? You know, the question before us this morning is, discipleship where? Well, everywhere, but maybe here. I'm not practicing that. Uh, It's in our title, it's in our name, it's in our history, as you just laid out for us. Uh, In every way, we're evangelical. But... You may not know about it. It's a really well-guarded secret. See, we're all supposed to be reading this book right now. If you've been to any of our church meetings recently, uh, this is a great little book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy uh, by Sam Chan. And if you take an opportunity to read it, it's very short, doesn't take much time, but you're learning a method about how to share Jesus with the present generation. But what I'm calling your attention to this morning is in the foreword uh, by a guy named Dr. Ed Stetzer. And Stetzer says in his foreword that we have a problem. It's a big problem. 
You see, for most of us who have that label evangelical, for the last 50 years, the common form, method of evangelism that we have practiced is church evangelism. Well, what is church evangelism? Church evangelism is where all we ask of you is to have the courage to ask that special person in your life, your family, your friend, your coworker, and say, hey, um, what are you doing Sunday morning? I'd like you to come to church with me. We have something really great going on this morning. I think you'll appreciate it. You know, you've already secretly checked out with the pastor what the sermon title is about. You know that the gospel is going to be presented at some point, and so you want your friend to hear that. And what this does is it relieves us of the challenge of sharing our faith, of getting in there with the gospel and just doing it. We can bring them to church, and the professionals will stand up in front of everyone and say, this is the gospel. It's not a bad method. You know, better than nothing. And then when you leave, you can say, hey, what did you think about what the pastor said this morning? And if you're fortunate enough, that person actually was tuned in, and then you can have a great conversation in which that person is ready to ask Jesus to be their savior. The Great Commission, go, make disciples. You just did it. You utilized a tool, the church, to accomplish your mission, church evangelism. Well, Stetzer says in the beginning of this book, that option may not be on the table in this generation. You see, people in this culture that we live in, in this post-Christian society where people uh, really don't have a background in the church or in Christianity, no longer view the church as a safe place to be. It's a place of bigotry. It's a place of hatred. That's how they see it. And now you're inviting them to come into the church and listen when in fact the emotional barrier to them coming here is so great, they might even get offended at the fact that you invited to them. I mean, for you, it was not a hard thing to do. It's, it's, it's an easy method of evangelism. Didn't require you memorizing a lot of Bible verses. Didn't require you to have a, you know, just one of those evangel methods. You could just invite people in. As we've talked about it as church leadership, what is the purpose of Parkview Church? You know, are we the church that says, come and see? Are we a church that says, go and tell? No matter what our personal preference may be, this question may already have been answered for us just because we live in this time period. Just because we live now, where people are like, I don't want to go to your church. What's your views on this? And what's your views on this? And what's your views on this? Bringing people in for church evangelism may no longer be an option. So we're faced with a problem. How do we retain the name, the title, evangelical, to be an evangelist? How do we be obedient to the Great Commission? And yet the easiest form of evangelism has been taken away from us through no fault of our own. It's just a perception, right? We don't buy into that. We're not a church full of hatred or bigotry. But that's the way we're portrayed in our culture today. And so people are 
reluctant to come. So this is going to ramp up our responsibility. How sad would it be if we progress through all these weeks of studying discipleship and we get to the point where we don't really have a clue on what we're supposed to be doing. We don't have a clear method of how to share our faith. We don't have the drive to do so. We miss the fact that Jesus says, no matter what age you live in, no matter what church you attend, no matter any extenuating circumstances, I want you to go and make disciples. So the thing that we're left with is not to come and see, but to go and tell. It's dependent upon each of us as individuals. You live within a sphere of influence. Your coworkers, your family, your friends. You know exactly who needs to hear the gospel. And you know it's incumbent upon you to speak it, to tell them, to share it. And you know from what I'm telling you that more and more, I think as time goes on, the option of bringing people in is going to become more limited. Oh, sure, there will always be people who, got through God's sovereignty, come into this church, into this auditorium, anxious to hear truth. And we as a pastoral preaching team are committed to sharing that gospel as often as we can. It's not going to stop. But the truth is, the opportunities for people to come by invitation are going to be limited. And if we're going to be truly effective and not just stealing sheep from other churches because we run a better program, we have a more exciting worship band, we have you know, some of the best preachers there are up at North Campus especially. But you know, wherever you're going uh, to do, bringing people in is just not going to be one of the best options. We have to be committed nevertheless to being disciple makers. Go and tell so with that being clearly identified, where does that leave us? Well, this should point us back to the New Testament, uh, trying to see exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is the greatest evangelist of all time, no doubt. He's the one who put us on the map, who gave us some initial instructions. And he didn't just say, go do this and leave us without a clue on how to do it. He did it, but then we have a New Testament, the Gospels specifically, that are full of stories of how Jesus himself went, how he goes and tells. Just for example, let's look in John chapter 4. Here we see the story of Jesus that he's gone out of his way to travel into a region known as Samaria. Samaria was a... Uh, and region between Galilee and Judea, and the Jews avoided it at all costs. Most of us are aware of this. Uh, we know the story of the Good Samaritan, in which he is picked in part because of who he is and where he's from for Jesus' story of how a man who had nothing to gain by helping a poor Jewish man who had been robbed and beaten this good Samaritan helped this person along the way. Jesus specifically chose that person because most Jews would probably on a normal day have said, no, I'd rather that man just keep on going. I don't want to be helped by such a one. But in John chapter 4, we have an initial contact where Jesus takes his 12 disciples and says, follow me. We're going to go into this land. 
we're not going to avoid it, and we're going across the Jordan and north or south, and then back, we're going to go straight into it, and we're going to go to the area that was historically known as Jacob's well. In picking up reading in verse 7 of John 4, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, if you didn't like my emphasis of, Give me a drink. Okay, you can make it sound nicer. Please give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is confronting a woman at the well. She's there just for her daily work of getting water, take it back to her place. I don't know if you've watched any of the Chosen series on uh, TV. Uh, I love this, this series, this episode especially where the woman is confronted by Jesus. She's not only shocked that a Jew is speaking to her and that a man, but she's also shocked that he seems to be implying that he is the Messiah. She says in, uh, drop down verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go to your husband and then come here. And they have this little interchange, and then she recognizes that you are indeed a prophet. You see, Jesus isn't just standing in a synagogue somewhere and saying, hey, bring everybody in. I want to talk to them. Tell them who I am. He's actually going out into the countryside, to the places where those who are lost and need the gospel message are living. He actually goes to these people and gives them hope for their future because they could have a relationship with God. And by the time we get to verse 25, the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus confirms what her suspicions truly are telling her, what her heart is speaking to her. And he says, I who speak to you, Am he. In other words, I'm that man. I am the Messiah. I can show you the way to God. Your people, your sphere of influence people, need to hear the same good news. Whether it's a woman at the well, or it's a friend of yours at a water cooler, or you're running into somebody uh, for drinks, it doesn't matter. They need to hear the gospel. Those living in darkness are waiting to be penetrated into their world by the gospel message. They don't know it, but they want to hear it. And the only person who can give it to them is you. You see, we too often think of this the, as the church. Well, we want to bring people to the church. I want to have people come in the doors and hear the gospel message. But the truth is, according to the New Testament, the church is not this building. You know that. You're the church. I'm the church. When we go out into the community, the church is going out into the community. When we share our faith with someone else, the church is sharing the message with someone else. That's the beauty of this. My brother Dean was out fishing near a lake in Des Moines. I think it was Easter Lake. He was casting his line out, and people were watching him, you know, and specifically two young Asian men were standing off there and they had clipboards and they were writing things. And Dean thought, this is really strange, you know, I'm just fishing for 
you know, the fun of it on a Saturday morning. And after a while, this is going on for about 15 minutes, he's thinking, wow, I must be really good. <laughs> I mean, they're taking notes. Watch this, you know, a little panache on his casting and all this kind of stuff. And they're talking to each other, you know. They're saying things to each other. And Dean is like, what in the world are they talking about? And so after a while, Dean just had enough of this. And so he dropped his rod, walked over to him, and kind of introduced himself and said, what, what is it that you're doing? And it turned out they were two students from China who were at Iowa State University, and they both were doing grad work uh, in the areas of lakes and rivers. And I don't even know what that would be called. But they had just come there to observe the lake. They saw Dean fishing. They thought that was fascinating. So they sat and just kind of talked to each other about him. Dean took that as an opportunity to be the church. He sat with them on the riverbank or the lake bank and just started sharing with them who he was and what he's about, how he learned how to fish. Then he talked about the greatest fisherman there is, Jesus Christ. And he had an opportunity to share that gospel. You see, God's going to use your sphere of influence, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, as an opportunity to share the faith. Go make disciples. Let's look at one more example of what we're talking about. In the book of Gospel of Matthew, we read, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but only those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is in a home with tax collectors. They're having a party, and the Pharisees are jealous. The Pharisees are the church people, the temple people, the synagogue people of his day. And they want to know what's going on in there. How come Jesus is having such a good time? What's Jesus doing? Well, he's not caring a whole lot about his reputation, is he? He's not trying to live by some standard that a church set for him. He's taking the message of the gospel to the people that need it the most. They want to hear it. Those who are lost need to be found. Those who are in darkness need to have the light. Go and tell. It's an amazing thing that we can do. If Stetzer is right and our opportunities to share the gospel are not going to be in these walls that we have to be the church taking it out. When I began this message practicing for it, I was going to say, discipleship where? Well, wherever you are. But in actuality, I think I would change that to discipleship where? Where you are. Drop the ever. It's not wherever you are. That sounds too iffy, too optional. It's where you are. You see, God in his sovereignty has placed you in a specific place at a specific time around specific people because he has fit you like a puzzle piece in a jigsaw puzzle. You're the one that he has sovereignly called to reach those people that you know. You don't have to wait for 
someone else to come along. You don't have to invite them into church. You are the called ones. It's your job. It's your privilege to be that person who completes the puzzle of spirituality for your friends. It's not an overnight thing. You know, sometimes we get lucky and somebody says, oh, this is exactly what I've needed. But other times people are hearing this for the first time and it's going to take a process, a time for them to fully understand what you're saying. That's okay. It's relationship. As we think about this, where are you going to disciple? Where you are. Where you are. To that person next to you, that person that you thought about for a long time, that person you're praying for, it is great. Nothing should limit us. We want to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and tell. Because that is the commission laid upon us. I'm going to end this morning with a little way for me to remember just how important this is. I think you'll recognize it, but where do we go to make disciples? Well, I'm going to share my faith in a box. I will share my faith with a fox. I will share my faith in a house. I'm going to share my faith with a mouse. I'll share my faith here and there. I will share my faith everywhere. I love to share the gospel. I do. I love to share the gospel with all the who's. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, you've given us a great commission. And we have the privilege of being you to the people in our lives, to sharing the story that is eternal and powerful. Father, we mess up. How many times did I have opportunity and denied it? or found excuses not to do it. But Lord, when we take that by faith, that you've put us in someone's life for just this purpose, then we get to see your power in action. We get to see your Holy Spirit change lives. Lay on each of our hearts here today, Lord, that person or those people that we need to go and tell. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, Pastor Dave. Uh, my name is Pastor Doug, and I do not have a rhyme to share with you, so I apologize. You can set your expectations down a little lower. Um, just want to come up here and, and remind you again, as this is sort of the end of our vision series. So far over the course of the last couple of weeks, what we have been doing is we have put this vision of glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus Christ before you as a church and said, we believe that this is what God's word has called us as his people to do as his church. Um, this is what we long to see happen here at Parkview, is that we would be a people who, who embrace the call that he has placed on our lives wholeheartedly, and that as we lean into it, that we see not just our lives transformed, but also the world around us transformed for his glory. Um, in order to help sort of drive this vision home, we have been sharpening our convictions. We first started off by, by asking why. Why are we in the business as a church of making disciples? We just opened God's word and could clearly see that, that he is inviting us into ultimately what God himself is doing, gathering a people, rescuing them from darkness, transforming them, calling them his beloved kingdom of his people, calling them to himself, and he is inviting us to participate in that work. That's why we're doing it. It's what God is ultimately doing. And he's invited us to Jesus. We saw today in Matthew 28, through his authority has commissioned us to now go and do exactly what the Lord is doing, to participate in this work.
We've also talked about what a disciple is. A disciple ultimately is somebody who has been rescued from this present darkness and, and transformed. They, they've, been, they've been now placed into the kingdom of the beloved son. So we are now God's people. And as God's people, the, the language that we've been using to help us understand what a disciple is, is ultimately it's somebody, regardless of where you are this morning in your journey with Jesus, a disciple is somebody who learns Christ who learns Christ. They, they learn Jesus, they love Jesus, and they live Jesus. You, can, you could look at their life and you could see Jesus at work in their life. That's what a disciple is. We've, we've also talked about over the last couple of weeks, how, how do we participate in this work of making disciples? And, and what we said, is, as, as Dave alluded to, Pastor Wade preached on it a couple weeks ago, the way by which we become disciple makers is through the prayerful proclamation of God's word to God's people um, over the course of time. We, per, we persevere over time. And it, it, what's so encouraging about that, how we make disciples, is that um, it informs every aspect of who we are as a church. As a church, we are a people who are transformed learning, learners of Christ that live with each other in community. And this call to make disciples, like we saw last week from, from Pastor Thomas, is not something that's just embraced by the professionals. It's not just something that the pastors or the elders or the leaders or those you might see up front embrace, but rather our job as leaders is to equip the saints so that they can do precisely what Pastor Dave just said. Wherever they are, where you are, you can participate in this grand calling that God has placed on our life. And so while this morning, this may be the, the end of our sort of vision series, it is that, but it's also not that. It's not that at all. In fact, next week, we're going to be opening up the, the Gospel of John, and we'll start a series as we walk through John 17, the high priestly prayer. And what we'll see that next Sunday and every Sunday after that is us taking this vision and putting it into action. As we walk in the doors, we should, as followers of Jesus, walk through these doors ready to not just receive from the Lord as we learn Christ and celebrate Jesus, but also give as we offer words of encouragement to one another, as we speak God's word into one another's lives, that we're not just receivers, but we're participants in this great work of making disciples. And so really, this, this work informs and should be found. It's that, let's just be real clear this morning. Discipleship, disciple making, is not a course you sign up for, nor is it a box that you check. It's a life, it's a calling that the Lord has placed on each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's a life that as we, as we follow and as we live as a church, we live it together, okay? And so it, it will inform and it will give shape to every aspect of the way that we do life together as a people. 